0: good morning everybody hey it's great to see you I'm excited about starting a new series called victorious faith and before we get into the message would you bow your heads with me one more time father we thank you for the love you demonstrated to us Lord in not only in the fact that you sent your son Jesus but Lord we have your word we have your word in print that we can study And we're just so grateful for that. Lord, I pray as we look deeply into Your Word this morning that You encourage and challenge each and every person here. Open our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, again, it's so good to see you on the 14th day of this new year, 2024. Can you believe it? And uh, we're complaining because it's, what, 30-something degrees? It's cold. I mean, for Southern Californians, that's pretty cold. But listen, you have nothing to complain about. I talked with my son. He's in Piedmont, Oklahoma, which is a suburb of Oklahoma City. They woke up to one degree, and I don't even know what that looks like. I'm native. I'm a native of Southern California, so never lived anywhere else, and I'm spoiled. I love it. Victorious Faith is a series that I'm starting today over the next number of weeks, and I want to ask you a question, which is really the title of this message. What What kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith do you have? When faced with challenges, circumstances, things that you just don't even want to care to deal with, whether they're health issues life issues, just life in general. What kind of faith do you have? And I think that's an important question. And my prayer this morning is as you see the different examples of expressions of faith that Jesus encountered with various individuals, you'll see primarily this morning what not to do. Amen? And we end on a good note. I want you to know that. But we don't start necessarily on a great note because of some characters that are involved in the narrative. We're looking at the context of Matthew chapter 16. So if you can turn there, Matthew 16, uh, we're going to look, context is everything. So I want to bring you up to speed on that. Leading up to chapter 16, Jesus had fed the 4,000. He healed multitudes and multitudes of people. He walked on water. When's the last time you did that? without a boat pulling you, right? Uh, he walked on water. He healed those who were demon-possessed. And, and I like to, I, I don't know if you'll like this, but I kind of package it this way. I really believe Jesus preached life and he shared about living a better, more fulfilled life. I mean, when you tap into a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything changes, your perception, how you think, how you live, how you do. It should. That's an indication that you've been converted. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. So now we, we come to chapter 16. Join me. I have the scripture on the screen. Starting with verse 1. One day the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus. Demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. I'm going to talk to you in a moment, share with you just some of the background things that are going on with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They're, they're challenging Jesus, they want him to prove who he is. I mean, he's already fed 5,000, he fed 4,000, two separate events. He's walked on water. He's done a number of miraculous, amazing, supernatural things that only God could do. And now they're challenging him. Show us a sign from heaven to prove your authority. In verse 2, he replied, You know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow, and red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and he went away. Something that is is perplexing here in this passage, if you don't know what's the history leading up to this, just the fact that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are collaborating together is really kind of odd because they were diametrically opposed to each other in in so many things, in their beliefs and in in behavior. And so I want to just give you, uh, as I said, a backdrop of what these groups are and, and how they believed, how they function. The Sadducees, they were considered the religious and political liberals of Christ's day. They were wealthy, the aristocratic uh, group. Both Sadducees and Pharisees were a, you could say they were a sect of Judaism, or an expression of Judaism, barely. Um, At least the Sadducees to say. But many of the Sadducees were the nation's governing leaders. When I say the nation's governing leaders, I'm talking about Israel and They were part of the Sanhedrin. At least some of them were. And the chief priest certainly was part of the Sanhedrin. They ruled with or on behalf of the Roman Empire. And and so the Romans, the Roman Empire... Saw to it that the Sadducees had positions of leadership because they favored both Roman culture. The Sadducees favored both Roman culture and they favored the Greek culture as opposed to their Jewish culture, which was odd for them to have or embrace that kind of thing. But when you look at what's going on today, that's not that odd. You can see some comparisons here. They aided. The Romans, in doing away with a lot of the religious practices, and and helped rather in embracing, as I said, Greek and Roman customs, which where we get Hellenism. But the Sadducees, they were very materialistic minded. Uh, they were independent thinkers, rationalists of their day. They, as I said, collaborated with the Roman government government to protect their the Sadducees, let me say it this way, collaborated with the Roman government to protect their positions in authority. We don't see that today, do we? <laughs> um, they denied anything supernatural for the most part. They didn't believe in the resurrection or the resurrection of of the dead. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe... The Sadducees did not believe in life after death. Um, They didn't believe in the existence of beings in other dimensions. In other words, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. These are the Sadducees. Um, To to them, there was no heaven or hell. Uh, When someone died, they just ceased to exist. They didn't believe Obviously, because they didn't believe in a heaven and hell, they didn't believe in uh, blessings or punishment afterlife. life. So it, it's interesting to me, and to all of us, really, it should be interesting, that the Sadducees and the Pharisees joined together, specifically the Sadducees, in, in wanting to ask Jesus, hey, show us a miracle, show us a sign. The Sadducees didn't even believe in miracles. And now the Pharisees, the the word Pharisee is, and keep in mind, both of these groups are expressions of Judaism. They were the leading religious groups of that day, of Jesus' day. Pharisee means separated one, and they were strict religionists. They compared today probably to very orthodox Jews, practicing Jews. That was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees refused to practice uh, the Greek customs. And uh, they were strict in practicing their Jewish law to the strictest sense. And they felt that carrying out every little detail of Jewish law and also perpetuating that, teaching that to others, they could save the Jewish religion and therefore save the Jewish nation. So they were the orthodox of the two, and um, they were organized, I would say, solely for the purpose. Their purpose was to perpetuate Judaism and the nation as well. They were strict literalists as far as the scriptures were concerned. They believed in a resurrection. They believed in the supernatural. The Pharisees believed in Angels and demons, they believed they existed. They were the most zealous of Judaism. And during Jesus's days, the Pharisees never exceeded over 6,000, which is not a very large group. I think most likely it was because they were so strict in their adherence of what it required to be or follow their, their laws, Judaism. And so they didn't have a great following because they were so fine-tuned in following the criteria of not just the Ten Commandments, the law, the Torah, but all the man-inserted definitions of what each law meant and how you live out each law. They had a voluminous work called the Mishnah uh, that defined the Ten Commandments most of which was man made, man inserted. And so these were the uh, Pharisees known maybe or considered to be self-righteous, even heartless, hypocritical. And and in addition to that, they bitterly opposed the Sadducees. So it's kind of fascinating at this juncture that they teamed up, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and begin to collaborate together because they were, as I said earlier, diametrically opposed to each other. And so you have this attack on Jesus. Typically, it was the Pharisees that were more vicious toward Christ in their attacks, primarily for two reasons. Uh, To the Pharisee, Jesus didn't represent God very well in the sense that he didn't, graduate from any of the rabbinical schools that they were part of. He was just a carpenter, just from, from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It, but more importantly, they attacked the Pharisees, that is, Jesus, primarily, because he attacked their rules and regulations that they had added to god 's law, think about who Jesus is, Jesus is the Word, so when you read the scriptures you 're reading about jesus he, he is the the Word, and this is the Word of God and so when they came against Jesus, they came against the very Word of God. You should have considered that for a moment, and so The events recorded in Matthew 16, inching into Matthew 17, are really a turning point for Jesus' ministry, and you see various expressions of faith. And I started out the message asking you, what kind of faith do you have? I mean, what kind of faith do you have? And typically, I've found that you find out many times the kind of faith you have when you're faced with challenges. And sometimes you mess up. I don't think that's a bad thing as long as you learn from it and you make adjustments. And so this message really is all about aligning how we do life in Christ, aligning our faith correctly and accurately to how God would desire us to live. Amen? So we see here in Matthew 16, for the first time, Jesus mentions the church. He begins to speak about his death on the cross. Uh, He begins to prepare his disciples for his rest and impending crucifixion and resurrection. All these things are starting to kick in in chapter 16. But I want to zero in on on a couple of things, primarily faith, different levels of faith. And I, I told you I was going to start kind of on a negative note, but it's going to build and get better. Number one, No faith. That's a a level of faith. No faith. No faith. And I have next to that hypocrite, and that's really who, and what was being expressed through the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they had no faith. They needed a sign. And how many signs do they need to see? How many more miracles did Jesus need to do? Some of them, I think, were eyewitnesses to some of the miracles that Jesus did. How many more do they need to see before They became believers, and ultimately they had a desire to silence Jesus, and they did their best to silence Him, and they were united, the Pharisees and Sadducees, in that quest to silence Jesus, just to put Him down, and so they say, show us a sign from heaven, and we'll believe in you as the Christ, some of your versions say, as the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Anointed One. That's what, they, they were all waiting for the Messiah. And He was standing right in front of them. And they missed it. And we're talking about individuals that were astute, esteemed in their learning. They knew the Scriptures. That's all they did was study and dialogue about the Scriptures and the Son of God is standing right in front of them, and they don't recognize him. It's amazing. Makes you think, doesn't it? How many times God's been near and we don't recognize. This was the fourth time, actually, that the religious leaders had asked Jesus for a sign. We saw it in Matthew 12, we saw it in John chapter 2. John chapter 6 and then Luke 11. So this was nothing new to Jesus being questioned, being challenged about his authority. And listen, miracles will give confirmation where there is faith, but not where there's a willing unbelief. And so Jesus mentions Jonah. I find that interesting. Why would he mention Jonah well, this was a sign of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And you wonder if they picked up on that. This, the, the context doesn't imply that they did, but you wonder if that stirred in their thought of what took place with Jonah. How long was Jonah in the fish? Yeah, so there's that connection with Jesus' death burial, and resurrection. He was buried and he rose on, what, the third day. And so he says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. So he's disclosing, in a prophetic way, what's to come. So we have no faith, and you know some folks that don't have faith. Listen, I've been on the bedside of individuals who love the Lord Jesus and their family is, is heartbroken broken that they're struggling, but know and realize that God is starting to call them home. I've been at the bedside of those individuals, and I've seen an amazing amount of peace come upon them as they exit. Listen, this life here that you and I are living, it's not very long. We're just passing through, friends. The Bible says our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. As a believer, we're just passing through. So I've been at those bedsides. And I've seen the tremendous amount of peace. It's a holy moment. It's a holy moment. I've also been at the bedside in the same type of situation of somebody who does not have a relationship with the Lord. They're in turmoil. Many times it's horrific to see what they struggle with. And of course, I'm doing everything I can to to minister to them the truth of the Gospel. To minister to them the truth because God's grace is sufficient and and God loves and His wills that none should perish. He doesn't desire anybody to perish. But I've seen the peace of God touch and bring someone's heart to a faith-filled heart at those last moments been a while since I've shared this, but I was asked to go visit an elderly woman who was on her deathbed. She was 94 years old. And I remember driving into Riverside to Kaiser, going into the room, and they believed she only had minutes to live. And long story short, what an honor, what an honor to to be there, to minister and to see and witness This 94-year-old woman, moments from eternity. At that moment, when I walked in, there was uncertainty of where she would spend eternity. There was uncertainty in the family. They were distressed. But she accepted Christ. She accepted Christ. Oh my, what a glorious, glorious hospital visit. And I'll never forget, I was after... I was leaving the hospital, I got into my vehicle, I started to drive home, and I got the call from the family. Literally minutes after mom had accepted Christ, she went home to be with the Lord. I wouldn't suggest you waiting. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to live like crazy and party like there's no tomorrow, and then... When I'm on my deathbed at that last moment, I'll give my heart to Christ. You might be thinking that, but listen, you could get on your motorcycle and smack. Yep. Motorcycle riders aren't supposed to talk that way. <laughs> but you don't know. You and I, we, none of us know how much time we have. So I, I wouldn't suggest waiting. So there's no faith. Then, The second is a faith that is blind, which is not good. It's a misunderstanding of Christ. The Sadducees, they were the PhDs. The Pharisees, the PhDs, astute, esteemed in their learning, in their intellect, their understanding of Scripture, and yet Scripture was standing before them. The Word of God, salvation, the Messiah, who they'd been waiting for their entire life, and they misunderstood. They were blind. And so we pick up in verse 5, later after they crossed to the other side, talking about Jesus, the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Huh, this is crazy. Now think about it. Think about it. Let's, let's just stop for a minute. I can't. I, I've got to address something. What had just happened? Jesus had just fed 4,000 people. And prior to that, he had fed 5,000. Two very different events. The 5,000 was, was to the Jewish people. The 4,000 was primarily almost all Gentiles. Two different events, two different times, seasons of the year. And the disciple, you think they'd know by now. And it says, so they crossed to the other side of the lake. The disciples discovered they'd forgotten bread. It's like, oh man, we forgot, the, we forgot all the extra fragments and I, you know, like I'm, I'm reading this and studying, I'm thinking, come on, guys, get with it. <laughs> I mean, you don't think Jesus can pr- do any more miracles with bread and fish and th- the original fish sandwich, right? And watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So this is pressing on the mind of our Lord as they're worried about their provisions. Like, you're hanging out with Jesus. You don't need to worry about anything. Come on. And and at this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. I don't know. These guys were a little slow, maybe. Jesus knew what they were saying, and he said, You have so little faith. We watched that video, and it concluded with 2 Corinthians 5.7. You've got to have faith. You can't be moved by what you see. So many of us are moved by what we see. We're distracted. And we're called to be people of faith. To look beyond what's actually going on and, okay, God, where are you? What are you doing? Because that's where I want to be. I'm not going to be moved by all these distractions. All these attacks. Jesus was under attack. They were attacking him because they hadn't brought enough bread. They were arguing about that. And he says, don't you understand yet? Can you you kind of see Jesus saying like, come on, don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? You think Jesus, like, you picked up. He kind of went up like that? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again, I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the yeast. You know, when your family's big, it makes sense to shop at Costco and Sam's Club, right? Because everything's in bulk. And... Uh, But when the family gets smaller and the kids start moving out, we tend to still shop at Sam's and Costco. And I I get these big (laughs) bags of potatoes. And you store them however you store them and a month goes by. I mean, how many potatoes can you eat? But you get that one bad potato in there, right? You walk into the pantry and it's like, woo, (laughs) man. And but, but it affects the other potatoes around it. If you don't deal with it, it gets nasty, right? That's what Jesus was talking about, that leaven. Then, it, then at last they understood in verse 12 that he was, wasn't speaking about the yeast and bread, but about the deceptive teachings or teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's a lot of deceptive teaching out there today. I cannot... Suggest strongly enough that you get into God's word and you study it and you read it and you get into it. And and I'll say this that God's word supersedes our emotions. So you may feel strongly about a position or it speaks against it then it's your obligation to align yourself with God's word amen yeah and so that's why I think it's important to, for pastors to preach through the through the word of God and and communicate the context of what's actually being said. And Jesus said, look, you guys, you're arguing about bread and provision, and that's, you missed the point here. The Pharisees have brought leaven into the teaching. They, they've brought some heretical things. They've added to the Scriptures, the leaven. Jesus is talking about false teaching. We're, you know, we're not told what happened to the leftover baskets of food that resulted in the feeding of the 4,000. And so the disciples misunderstood Jesus. And often in ministry, the ministry of Jesus, people misconstrued his words by interpreting them many times literally rather than spiritually. Nicodemus, for example, thought Jesus was talking about an actual physical birth when Jesus said, unless one becomes born again, You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Nicodemus took that to a physical level. And Jesus was talking spiritually. The Samaritan woman thought uh, Jesus was referring to material water when he said, no, 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 no. I'm the water of life. And so you see this time and time again in Scripture. And leaven was to the Jews a symbol of evil. And so when Jesus brings... uh, and communicates to his followers, the disciples, that what the Sadducees and the Pharisees were doing, they were bringing leaven. He's talking about the evil that they were bringing. They, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees created a block, a wall between the people, a chasm between the people and God. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So the Pharisees were the legalists, and... Uh, There's just such a danger about being misled by false teaching. And somebody can get up and seem so charismatic and so believable and have a lot of truth that they're saying, and then all of a sudden they'll say something that's so contrary to Scripture because maybe it's something they've experienced. So an experience becomes something that trumps Scripture, truth. And that's never to be the way that Scripture is interpreted or even lived out. Experience can never trump or supersede what God's Word says. It cannot contradict. When someone says, Thus saith the Lord, and they ramble off something, and that rambling contradicts Scripture, then you know it's not from God. But how do you know if something contradicts Scripture if you're not familiar with the Word of God? And so I go back, I defer back to the declaration I shared with you that I can't suggest strongly enough for you to get into God's Word on a daily basis. Just begin to read God's Word. And, and I shared with you a few weeks ago one of the things, the practices that I have before I even get into reading. God's Word is, I ask God, speak to me as I sit down, as I'm reading Your Word. Lord, speak to me, guide me, direct me. Whether you read a chapter or just get stuck on a word. Sometimes I get stuck on words in God, and just, you just get blessed. Amen? So I want to encourage you to get into the Word of God. The ne- next level of faith is a faith that saves. And of course, that's the one we like, right? One of the things I share constantly is I believe my mission, my purpose in life is to bring as many people to heaven with me as I possibly can. It's that simple. It's not that complicated. For me, anyway. And, and I know that that's what God's called me to do. So I can be teaching out of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, of Genesis, Exodus. I can be teaching out of Romans, Ephesians. Somebody asked, if you are on a deserted island and you could only have one book of the Bible, What would that be? I I think I'd want Romans if I could only choose one because I think it's all there. My second choice would be Ephesians. I love those two books, you know, but I wouldn't want to be stuck on a deserted island. Yeah. So it's like my daughter when she was little. She's, I don't know, she was little and she says, Dad, would you rather have a heart attack or a stroke? And if you knew Sarah, you, she became a nurse. So, you know, she's... But that was when she was real little. So a faith that saves. And, and the backdrop to that is verse 13 through 17. Jesus took, remember, his disciples into now a Gentile area, Caesarea Philippi, about 120 miles from Jerusalem in the northern part of Palestine. And, and so we pick up in verse 13... When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? (laughs) Getting down to the nitty-gritty, and Simon Peter, I love Simon, he answers, you're the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Savior the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Jesus was in an area that had so many different religions and and um give you an example. One, one of them was Baal worship. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. And uh, when Catherine and I were in Israel, we visited this ancient ruined city, a Canaanite village. And in the center, there was this huge platform about the width of one of the rows here. And it was white, weathered white, big, huge, flat platform. It's where they did their sacrifices. And you might be thinking, well, what did they sacrifice? Well, they sacrificed their children to their gods, to the god of Baal and Pan and, and Asherah and these, these satanic gods, these satanic pagan gods. They thought they in sacrificing their children, putting their children to death. They were appeasing the gods, as it were. This horrible, I, I didn't even like being in that location. I just remember like, Out of all the places in Israel, it's like, I don't even want to go and see that. Because of all the death and destruction and horror that had taken place. And Jesus is now with His disciples in that same area. And here Peter confesses Jesus is the Son of God. It's it's beautiful. In light of all the other pagan Peter declares who Jesus is. Who do you declare? Who Jesus is. You know, a right confession of Jesus is basic to salvation. The Jehovah witnesses believe that Jesus was created. He was created. They believe he's created, and yet the very first book of the Bible indicates the plurality of God, the Trinity, and Jesus is very much part of creation. And it's substantiated in the Gospel of John, the very first chapter, the first verse even, dictates that Jesus is the Creator. And then the Mormons, as nice as they are and family-oriented, they believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer, of Satan. That Jesus is his brother. So I think it's important that you Worship the right Jesus. Someone might say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, which Jesus do you believe in? Do you believe the Jesus of God's Word? If you don't get that right, if you don't get the right Jesus right, you're wrong. That's not something you want to gamble on. And God's truth is primary. It supersedes your History, it supersedes your experiences. It supersedes your family tradition. Well, my family is this. From generation to generation to generation, going way back, we've been Mormon, we've been Jehovah Witness, we've been this, we've been that. Yeah? That's not going to get you anywhere. Anywhere near heaven. Jesus said the only way to the Father is through Him. So Jesus is ministering to his disciples in an area that all these different faiths and religions and satanic, pagan cultures. And and then there's Judaism, which just kind of took a left-hand turn in the expression of how the Sadducees saw it and even how the Pharisees expressed Judaism. And Jesus is ministering truth to his inner circle And Peter gets it right. Peter gets it right. Isn't it cool when you get it right once in a while? Peter gets it right. One of my, I've got a lot of favorite scriptures, but one of my favorite blocks of scripture is found in Romans. I alluded to how much I like Romans. But Romans chapter 10, verse 8, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That's what Paul was expressing to the Christians in Rome. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in a jacuzzi with my family years ago. I was just a young man. I was zealous about my faith. I wasn't in ministry. But I expressed that salvation is had by a litany of things. I expressed that. What I had done is I had complicated what it took to be saved in my head. And I'll never forget my brother-in-law, who my brother-in-law and my sister had an enormous amount to do with me being saved. He said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. Now, think about it. I'm a young man. I'm zealous. And someone's telling me, no, 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 you got it all wrong. It's like, okay, how do I have it wrong? Because I felt like, okay, if you're a Christian, you should be doing this. If you're a Christian, you should be doing this. If you're a Christian, you should be doing this. And yes, you should be doing all those things, but they're not tied to salvation. And Romans 10 9 and 10 were quoted to me. May I read it to you? Yes. Can I? Yes. Thank you. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him, raised who? Jesus, from the dead you will be saved. Period. It's confession with your mouth, belief in your heart, the right Jesus, the Jesus of the Scriptures, God's only beloved Son. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And it just kind of set things right. I mean, that's salvation. Believing, that Jesus died on the cross, that He rose on the third day. He is Lord and Savior. Whether you or I make Him Lord and Savior or not, Jesus is who He is. The benefit of Jesus being your Lord and Savior and you accepting Him and repenting, that's a key, repenting of your sins, comes the benefit of forgiveness of sins. Wow. You want to lose weight fast? Think about it. Spiritual weight? You want to lose weight fast? Fast Experience forgiveness. It just li- lifts baggage and yuck and stuff and things that were spoken over you and mistakes you've made. It just comes right off forgiveness. How many of you have experienced that kind of forgiveness? Praise God. And then the blessing of eternal life. So, victorious faith starts it it starts it's got to start somewhere it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ and we live in a world with so many distractions we live in a world that's got it's upside down people don't know whether they're girls or boys and it just it, that's just half of it part of it there's just so much confusion where does confusion come from yeah so we have all these distractions, and wow, I just my heart and my prayers go to young families with young children. Those of you my age and older, we raised our children in a time where it was a, I think it was a lot easier. And so we want to pray for our young families, amen? And we want to pray for our children. But I'd like to present to you an opportunity right now. To begin to walk in victorious faith. And not question everything God does like the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But trust God for everything. Would you bow your heads? Father, we come before You. We thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for the love that You've demonstrated to us. God, we worship You. We praise You. We're so grateful. We're so honored that we have have Your Word. That we can come together freely and worship You and study and Lord, I just pray right now for each and every person here, everybody that's watching online, Lord, I pray that, that uh, if there are areas that are distracting, if there are areas that we are, uh, we are not exercising the kind of faith we should, we're putting faith in other things to get us through. Lord, I just pray that those burdens... that we've placed in our life that keep us from depending solely on You. That we'd give that to You, Lord. You said that You would take our burdens and lift them from us. As you're sitting there, as you're watching online, if there are areas of your life that... You know, you know that God is big. You know that with God all things are possible. He's the Creator of the heavens and the earth, and He most certainly can handle whatever you're going through. You can trust Him. You can hope in Him. As Job said, though He slay me, yet will I hope in Him. You can put your hope and trust in God. He takes good care of you. Lord. I just pray that You would help people release the burdens of distraction. Those things that we hold on to instead of just trusting and having faith in You. And as you're sitting there, would you just quietly before God, you and God, right where you're at, whatever that is that, that needs to be released to God, say, God, just take this burden. Take this wrong attitude I have. God, take this issue, this challenge, and Lord, give me the ability to trust in You and have faith in You. Just do that right now. Just take a moment. Thank You, Jesus. And as your heads are bowed, I shared with you Romans 10, 9 and 10. None of us know how much time we have. Are you ready? You could live another 80 years. Or you may only be alive the next 10 minutes. We don't know, you don't know. But are you ready for eternity? If you're not, would you give your heart to Jesus Christ? If you're not certain about your eternal destination, give your heart to Jesus. Maybe for the first time or if you've done that before and you're not walking with the Lord, would you rededicate your life this morning to Jesus Christ? As all eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if you're watching online, would you pray this prayer with me? Pray this prayer if you're going to give your heart to Jesus or rededicate your life to the Lord. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe in You. I believe that You died on the cross. I believe that You rose from the grave. I now ask You to be my Lord and Savior. If you're rededicating your life to the Lord, I want you to pray this. Today's the day, Jesus. I rededicate my life to You. Fill me to overflowing, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Will you all stand to your feet? Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Come on, you can do better than that. If you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior for the very first time, or you rededicated your life to the Lord, let me know. Fill out a connection card or follow the instructions on the screen that you see. And I, I would like to encourage you. And, you know, the Bible says that every time a soul is added to the kingdom of God, the angels in heaven rejoice. They, I don't think they just go. It's a football game. I mean, come on. I don't think, I don't think they do that. I think they, they, it says they rejoice, they rejoice. That's why I said, come on, you can do better than that. But uh, it's exciting. That's why we are here. We're, we're here to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to help people get saved, and also those who already know Jesus. Help them become equipped in their faith. Amen? Amen. Bring a friend next week. Praise team's going to close us in a song, and we'll see you next week. God bless you.